much for having me back. It's really sweet to be here. It's been a minute. I, I, the girls were asking me how long it's been since I've been up here. I'm like, it's been, it's been a minute. Last year. Yeah, a year. So thank you guys for having me. Um, kind of feels like coming into a room of sisters, even though I don't know everybody. It's just our churches feel like sisters. We were planted at the same time. Do a lot of life together at a distance. So thank you all so much for having me. And I, I want to say this isn't even in my notes, but like sometimes God's going to ask you to talk about things that you don't have down perfectly. <laughs> this, is, this topic tonight is one for me. Whenever Carmen and I and Mary Grace were talking about what topics you guys wanted to hear from, um, the one that came up was having hope having hope as a mom, as a woman, as a sister, as a friend, when life is busy and you're going through hard things. And I was like, mm, I think I'm supposed to talk about that one. There's like three that I could choose from. And that one is not one I'm doing real great at right now. <laughs> and through the process of preparing for tonight, I just felt like maybe someone else would need to hear that sometimes God asks you to minister something to sisters or your kids or to your husband, to your family, whoever, (laughs) stranger in United or whatever in Walmart, that you just don't have down perfectly. And that's okay. That's sometimes the best place to be when he asks you to talk to someone about something or share something true about God. It's not because you have it together, but because he is together. He is perfect and pure and set apart. So Tonight we're going to talk a little bit about hope, and um, this is definitely a topic I've been working through in my own walk with the Lord, and as I started studying the scripture and kind of looking at where I wanted to study from, I kind of landed on Romans 5, so if you want to open up to Romans 5, we'll be there for the most, for the most part, and I don't, I've never taught like this before, but we're actually just going to walk through it, talk about it walk through it, talk about it. So if you're a note taker, but I'm not going to go in order. I'm going to start at the end and we're going to end at the beginning. Does that make sense? It's kind of like we're going to start with the because and then go, and now here's why. Does that make sense for you grammar people? I teach sixth grade grammar, so that means a lot to me. But um, I think as women, we're under a lot of pressure. Sometimes we feel pressure from the outside. Sometimes we create pressure and expectation on ourselves. And um, it's hard to find a woman, actually, in my life that doesn't feel a little hopeless in at least one area of her life, whether that be family, friends, relationships, work, marriage, um, community. There's just some area... We wish that all the areas had peace, but usually there's one that doesn't, at least. And um, I think it's partially because we have a lot of expectations. We kind of create these mental pictures in our mind of what it's supposed to look like to be us. Be a good mom, to be a good wife, to be a good friend, to be a good worker in our job. And then we're disappointed because we're not perfect, right? And then when we get disappointed, we can get a little hopeless. And... Sometimes our disappointments come from the outside. Sometimes we experience trauma. Sometimes we go through hardship or breakups 
for loneliness or singleness um, or difficult friendships, difficult people in our lives, different moments where marriage is really hard or our kids are even going through things if you're a mom. Um, and sometimes it's just those internal pressures. Because I think culture has this kind of false gospel that it gives us that we're, we can control it and be perfect enough that we can have the perfect outcome. And so if we like try really, really hard to be the perfect person at our job, if you're a teacher or whatever you do, then we can have the perfect students. If you're a mom, if you try really, really hard, and you're the perfect mom, then your kids are going to be perfect, and they're not going to ever struggle. You can work a little harder at marriage and have the perfect marriage, but um, that's just not reality, is it? It's kind of like this false gospel um, that the culture gives us that really, if we all know, doesn't really work out. And so we walk in a lot of disappointment, if we're honest. I know I do. Um, and we can also walk through seasons of worry or seasons where we just go wilderness that like connect with anybody or it's just like dry, tired, um, and all that control that we like grasp for and suddenly just feel like it's slipping through our fingers. Um, and so I think a lot of times when I have conversations with women, which I do a lot, I hear words like I feel overworked, I feel overtired, I feel over busy, I'm feeling kind of sad, I'm feeling kind of lonely. I'm lacking peace, I just feel anxious all the time, or stressed, or I just don't feel hopeful. I don't know, like, I'm not experiencing or walking in hope. And so, I know for me, that's definitely a big struggle. Um, And so, you know, when we feel those feelings, because culture has that false gospel that we can control it, it also has, like, an answer for us. Does anybody know what those answers might be? Sorry, you didn't know the Q&A was now. But what are some things that culture offers us when we feel that way? Yeah, self-care. That was, like, go take care of yourself. Like, go distract yourself for a while. Binge on Netflix, you know, have another glass of wine. You know, that's definitely, like, a cultural thing that I just feel like is offered a lot to women. Um, Kind of hide in something, substance, media, entertainment. Um, there's also the try harder one, like the self-help one. Oh, you need another marriage book, or you need another parenting book, or you need another book on being more productive, or um, all of that. And then there's also just the, so it's like, it's really fight, try harder, flight, escape, or there's another one. Did you know what it is? Bond. Have you heard of that one? That one's just put a mask on and become okay to everybody else, even when you don't feel okay on the inside. And so... Um, really just our response to pain. Culture just offers us, yeah, just fight, try harder, flee, run away, escape, um, or just pretend. Put on your mask. And I think as Christians especially, we know where this leads. Um, The other day, my son loves the Dallas Cowboys. I know. I'm a girl up here. Here I go. Um, I love football. And I love to watch. I have three boys, and I love to watch football with them. And the other day, my son had homework, and the Cowboys were about to play. And it was the pregame was on for, like, the first hour before the game started. And he, I was like, you better get your homework done. And he was like, no, 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 I, I can't miss the pregame. And I was like, listen to me. I am thinking about your greatest joy. Your greatest joy is not the pregame. Your greatest joy is watching the Cowboys. But if you don't get your homework done now, you're going to miss the greater joy later. 
And I think I was, I was laughing to myself as I'm having this conversation with him, realizing this is a lot of what our self-help culture does for us. It's like, here, you can feel good right now, but we miss out on a joy later. Where God is actually offering us the reverse. He's saying, hey, I've got joy for you, lasting hope, lasting, but it might not feel really great right now. You might have to walk through a season where it's kind of hard, but I've got your, your greatest joy in mind. Um, and so I think all the quick fixes that culture offers us to try harder, to escape, flee, or to just pretend, maybe make us feel good for a minute, but they don't give us the lasting joy of having true hope in Christ. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about tonight, is how do we have lasting hope when things feel a little hopeless? Um, And as I got into studying this, it took me into some theology. Y'all know what theology is? Just the study of God. I taught um, our women at Redeemer Amarillo a whole series on theology for women. And I didn't expect to start studying hope and be like, oh, there's some big theology in this. But we're going to get into that tonight. So hang with me if you're a note taker. We're going to look at Romans 5. Um, And I'm going to look at this in two parts. Okay, The first part, and it's going to be the longest part of what we talk about tonight, is the theology of hope. How do we think about hope? How How can we think about hope so that we can believe and what God says about hope. And the second part is, how do we live out hope? It's the more practical. Like, what should our actions be in light of hope? And so, I'm going to go ahead and just read Romans 5, 1 through 11, and then we're going to go to the end of that and come back to the beginning. You'll understand. Okay, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated, demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life? Not only this, so we we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we now receive reconciliation. Okay, so I know it's a big one. We're going to unpack it. We're going to look at it first, the theology of hope. How do we think, how can we think about hope? Um. First of all, we need to define some terms. That word justified, that's a really churchy term. That's when we throw around in church. Do we actually know what that word means? And I'm going to define it for us. 
Today, so we're going to call justification or being justified, being declared righteous before God. So just being justified or justification is going to be being declared righteous before God. Um, and when we look at Romans 5, being justified is actually where the hope comes from. So we need to unpack what does it mean to be justified. If we're supposed to receive hope from justification, we really need to understand it. Okay? Y'all with me? Sound good? Okay. So justification is being declared righteous even though we aren't righteous. We are born into sin. We are sinful and guilty of sin every single day. But through Christ, you and I, we, re- we get to receive the righteousness of God. We are declared righteous. Um, and we still, we live in this fallen world, right? Where there is still a battle raging. Where the enemy still tries to speak something way different, doesn't he, to us. He calls us many things. Righteous is not one of them, right? Um, so even though we're born into sin and we are daily unrighteous, we have been declared righteous through Christ. And so Romans 5 talks about hope, but it talks about it first coming from the understanding and the belief and the faith that we have in being justified. So let's look at verse 6. Let's start there. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, so the first reason from verse 6 that our justification gives us hope is that we didn't earn it. Guys, that's really good news. I don't know about you. Like we just spent the first few minutes of this talking about, we try really, really hard and we do what? All the time, we fail. We fall short. But if we look at verse 6, the first reason our justification gives us hope is it's not based on that. It's not based on how much we fail ourselves, the people in our lives. We fail to meet God's law. We fail to mess up every day. This is really good news. It actually uses the word powerless. You're completely powerless. Think about a toddler just laying on the floor, kicking and screaming, and we got to get to the car with all the groceries. Like, powerless. They're powerless to help us. we got to power through and just do it, right? So we are powerless to have righteousness from God. But God does it for us. That's what's so cool about it. We didn't play a part in it. We didn't earn it. It's just a gift. And that is really hopeful. This isn't something we have to get up and try every day for. It's something we receive as a gift every single day. So the first reason we hope in our justification is that we're powerless, that he does the work. Verse 7, let's look there. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, the second reason that we have hope because of our justification is that it happened because of Jesus' death. And I think, Kate, that's really weird. But think about it. Someone had to die so that we could be declared righteous. It was going to be us or it was going to be Christ. So the fact that we receive justification through the death of Christ means that we don't have to die. 
he died so that we don't have to die. There's a lot of hope in that. That means we know where this is headed. Someone died for us. We know in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, he gives us life. That's really, really hopeful. So in other words, our sin deserved our death. When we were enemies to God, he chose to die in our place. And that's awesome. Um, I already said that. Let's look at verse uh, 7 again. Verse 7 says, Rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly die. But God demonstrated his love. Okay, the third reason that we have hope and justification is that the death of Christ was a demonstration of love. No one would die for someone like us. I know someone, no one would die for someone like me. I sin every day. I'm not the good person that someone might die for. I'm the bad person that nobody would die for, right? And if we're honest, we all are. But God demonstrated not, doesn't, it could say duty, it could say a lot of different things that he demonstrated. But what is he demonstrating? He's demonstrating love. When we know how much God loves us, and we see that, in, in the death of Christ, it, it becomes a thing of hope. Like, it is very hopeful to be loved, isn't it? You know, have you ever seen, like, somebody that's about to get married, and they're like, we know marriage is going to be hard. We know we're going to face all this stuff. But love will carry us through. Like, that's an imperfect love. Think about being carried through by perfect love. That's an amazingly hopeful thing, that you are loved that much. Um, let's look at verse 9. Since now we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? So the fourth reason that justification gives us hope is that it, it means we're saved from ultimate hopelessness. So what do I mean by that? Think about it this way. Every bit of hopelessness that you've faced in this life, through any circumstance that you face that's hard, is just a little hint of the hopelessness that is being without God. Um, that is being totally separated from Him. You know, sometimes we think about it the opposite. Like every piece of good things that happen is just a little hint of heaven to come. Sometimes we need to reverse that a little bit and receive the hope that comes from that. Every little bit of hopelessness that you're going to face in this life is just a hint of what you would have outside of Him. And one day... That'll just be a drop in the bucket to the love of, of just being in the presence of God and that future hope that we have of when he makes all things new, when he wipes away every tear from every eye, when death is no more, when there's neither sorrow or mourning or sickness or weeping. That's our future. And any hopelessness that we feel in this life is just a hint. It's just a little piece compared to the hopelessness that we would have outside of Christ that will last forever. That's not who we are. That's not what we're called to. God has saved us from that ultimate hopelessness of being separated from him. Um, and how does he do it? God spares us from eternal hopelessness by pouring out his wrath on his son. 
I think the Jesus Storybook Bible like says it perfectly. This is what Sally Lloyd-Jones says. She says, The full force of the storm of God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his own son instead of his people. It was the only way that God could destroy sin and not destroy his children whose hearts were filled with sin. God, through Jesus, makes a way for sinful people to be declared righteous. And through his death, he makes a way for us to escape ultimate hopelessness of being separated from him forever. And not just from him, but from his love. He's made a way for that. And that's no longer our future. So without Christ, our future is the ultimate hopelessness of being separated from him and from true love. But our future is set. We've been justified by faith. And um, that's hopeful, right? Let's look at verse 10. Four, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So we've talked about what his death did, but this ends here now on his life. The fifth, this is the final one, I promise. (laughs) The fifth reason justification gives us hope is found that we are also saved through his life. And what do I mean by that? I mean that Jesus didn't, he's not a martyr. He rose from the dead. He wasn't just martyred. He also came back to life. And so the reason we have hope in our justification is also through the work of resurrection. The next chapter Chapter 6, Romans 6 says this, For if you have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Justification gives us hope because if Jesus is your Savior, you've also been united in resurrection. Hey, what do I mean by that? Think about it. Like, it's why we do baptism, right? We say, I don't know what y'all say when you get baptized. We say it reading, we're like, United in a death, raised to new life. Like, Jesus' death means that our sin got put to death. But his resurrection means one day we're going to resurrect too. We have a future hope that is sure, that is confident, that is true, that will not disappoint, that we will be with him forever. And that is amazing. Like, I don't know about you guys, but we have a saying in our house that we can get through any hard thing if we know it's going to end. You know, we say that all the time in our house. My husband and I will just look at it. When's it going to end? Okay, we got it. We can do it. That, like, that's the, basically what Jesus is saying to us. Like, this is hard. You may be work, walking through some of the hardest things you've ever walked through, but it's going to end. It's promised. It's sure. How do we know? He resurrected. He's alive. He's still alive. He's coming back. And because he's alive, we know he's coming back. <laughs> and so that's amazing. And you guys are united not just in his death, but in his resurrection. And one day, you're going to be alive with him too. And so you know when it's going to end, right? We know when it's going to end when we see him face to face. So we can get through any hard thing. We know what's going to end. Um, But that also means, you guys, that there's purpose for here and for now um, in this life. So in this life, We're called to walk in the reality that we've been declared righteous and with the mindset that we have a future hope because God has a purpose for us right now. Um, And he also has a future where the fullness of our hope 
will be fulfilled forevermore. So even if you face hard things, at the end of the day, Jesus wins, right? And here's, why, here's how we know this. Colossians says it like this. It's kind of a mirroring chapter. You're dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed all the rulers, all the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over him. Here's my point. As we walk through the darkness of this life, we are going to have moments of temptation. We're going to suffer. We're going to experience spiritual attack. We're going to experience, um, we're going to experience the darkness of the powers of this world. But when Jesus rose from the dead, there's something that that resurrection also did. It defeated them. And so no matter what you face as far as the enemy, we know, even though the battle rages on, the war is already won. We know that in the end, Jesus, Jesus is defeated. And he already did that when he resurrected from the grave. So now it's like the battle still have to play out, but we know the end of the war. And so Jesus triumphs over the world and the powers of the world when he rose from the dead. Um, and Christ is more powerful than any evil in this world. And we carry that hope with us wherever we go. Christ is in us. So when we walk in our justification and we walk in hope, we walk knowing God has a purpose for our pain. And even though God did not, is not the creator or the author of the pain that we experience, he is, however, strong enough to use that pain for our good and his glory. And that's really good news. Um, so, we are called to receive and rest in the fact that we're justified, that we've been declared righteous, and we have to hold fast that our future is certain and that it's coming. But as we do that, we also have to walk out hope in our daily life. So, I want to revisit just those first few verses that we skipped at the very beginning. And I want to also give you guys just a couple practical ways to actually walk out hope in your everyday life. So it's like we know what we should be believing and resting in, but we also need to know how to walk in hope, right? Um, James 2 talks about faith and deeds, right? It, James 2 says, you know, faith without, where is it at? I think I wrote it down for myself. Um, faith without works is dead, right? For the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So sometimes I run into this. I know the right thing. I know all these things that God has done for me. I know what his death and his resurrection mean for me. I know that I've been justified. I'm not really living any different. Don't ever do that. I'm still struggling to walk in hope. That's real, y'all. Um, and so I think we have to ask ourselves a couple questions first. Number one, do I actually believe? Do I actually have faith in Jesus? And do I have faith in his justification for me, that I am declared righteous? Am I believing that? But then we have to ask ourselves, okay, if I have the faith that 
yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that I am declared righteous. But is my life actually looking different? Am I actually walking in hope? Am I practicing living like someone who was declared righteous? So, um, let's look back at those other verses. Because I'm going to tell you guys something. Practicing hope can be kind of hard. Do you all find that? <laughs> I think it is really hard. A couple questions before we read those. I don't want to forget these. One really good question if you're not sure. Because sometimes we're not sure. Am I actually walking in hope? What do I do? What do I turn to? Where do I go for comfort when I'm in pain? Is that Christ? Do I return to those ideas of being justified? Or do I run to something else? I want to mention that. Is my response someone who is still a slave to sin? Or is my response to pain, um, do I walk in hope? that I've declared righteous, that I'm free, that I'm alive in Christ, that I have a future hope? Am I walking like someone like that? Or am I, and here's why that's so hard, you guys. We learn from little bitty kids what to do when we're in pain. And those responses can become so automatic that sometimes we have a lot of mental agreement with something in the word, but we still act like we did when we were little. And we have to really practice walking in hope. Or, or we maybe we still practice how we, were, you know, maybe handled it before we were a Christian. And so I want to give you guys some three things that I think you guys could practice when you leave here to practice hope. Let's look at that, the very first verse of Romans 5, and I think we'll see it. And we boast in hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also, but also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So I think Romans 5 gives us at least three practical ways that if you have been practicing walking maybe in your old self, and you want to start practicing walking in hope when things are hard, that you could maybe walk out of here and try to practice. The first one is how you speak. Verse 1 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, I live in West Texas. I've been living in West Texas for 15 years. We really like to do things ourselves. We really like to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We really like to try hard. We really like to be independent. We don't want to need anybody because that feels a little weak. I get it. But we boast in what we trust. So think of it um, like this. If you really like something and you really find a lot of comfort in something and you really like doing it, it's kind of the thing you talk about, right? Like your new TV show or whatever. I have those things too. But we will also boast about what we trust in. And I ask you, do you find yourself in times that you're feeling a little hopeless or facing something kind of hard talking like that? And maybe you're like, man, doesn't feel like I have it. Let me give you an example. It could be really simple. Like, I'm walking through a really hard thing, but I'm asking God to help me. And I'm asking God for help right now. That's really life-giving speech to a friend. You might not know who needs to hear that. You might even need to hear that come out of your own mouth, right? But I would ask you, can we be women who practice talking and hope? 
And if nothing else, boasting in the Lord that we're asking for help. I, I don't know. Instead, I know for me personally, I like to talk to my friends when I need help. I like will call up a friend and be like, it's such a hard day. My kids are going crazy. Or like, this happened and this happened. Help me, you know? But what if we started practicing going to God first? And then we'd have something to say like, yeah, it's really hard today. I've been praying all day that God would just help me walk in hope. It could be just as simply as acknowledging that with your words. Um, number two, second way we can practice hope with our bodies is proximity to God. What do I mean by that? Proximity means like closeness. Let's look at verse three. We glory in our sufferings. Glory in suffering. What? <laughs> well, glory can have a couple meanings. One meaning for glory is that you can see the beauty in something. Can you practice seeing the beauty in suffering? Sometimes you don't see the beauty in suffering. Can you at least practice giving thanks for what you're going through? Because maybe the one thing you could get out of it is that you would draw close to God. Maybe, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why I'm walking through this. But I know I'm going to get close to you through it. And if that's the only positive thing that comes out of this, that's enough. Can we practice that? Just proximity and closeness. Um, People who see beauty and suffering are people who face suffering without fear. They're not afraid of it. What can it do to them? It could be really hard. It could be really painful. But they know they're loved. They know they've got someone with them, going before them, going with them, going behind them. Um, and like that verse says, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope. So in other words, even if something bad is happening to us, our pain can still have a purpose. It feel good to know that pain can still have a purpose. The worst kind of pain is when we're like, why is this happening? This stinks. You guys, there's some senseless, painful stuff out there that I am not going to sugarcoat. It just stinks. But our pain can still have a purpose. It can produce perseverance. It can produce character. It could even produce hope. If nothing else, it can make us draw near to God. Isn't it funny, though, that like oftentimes the people that we love the most, that love us the most, we kind of push away when we're in pain? Y'all ever do that? I'm not the only one, right? <laughs> I know sometimes like I'm really tempted when I'm in pain to push away the people that I love the most, even God. But I think we can practice proximity to God when we're in pain. We need God the most when we're hurting. And we need to be people, we need to be women who practice going to Him with our pain. Um, are you drawing near to God when you're in pain? Because proximity matters. If you're walking with God, you're facing it unafraid, and God can do some stuff in your heart, like produce perseverance or more character. And He can only do that if we're walking with Him, not at a distance, right? Okay, last thing that we can practice when we're walking through pain and we need hope, is we need to practice a change in our countenance. Don't know what countenance is? It's like how we carry ourselves. Maybe the best way to put it. Verse 5 says, Hope does not put us to shame. 
Shame is a countenance, isn't it? Y'all know, like you can, if I say shame, you can you can picture what shame looks like, right? That defeated, wanting to hide, wanting to withdraw, maybe self-punish, maybe try to fix yourself up or clean yourself up. Um, but hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Shame is this. Shame is not, let's say what shame is not. Shame is not, I've messed up. Shame is saying, I'm a mess up. Shame is not, I've done something wrong. Shame is, something's wrong with me. Shame is not, I've done something bad. Shame is, I'm bad. I'm a bad like wife. I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad friend. Y'all know what that sounds like, right? It's one of the enemy's number one tactics, isn't it? But we can be women who practice not walking in shame. Who not who don't let our countenance be shame. Because let me tell you, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there is no shame in Christ. Christ doesn't operate in shame. He isn't he doesn't use shame, that comes from the enemy. And we can identify that when we start to hear it. God's love will not put us to shame. If you're walking knowing that you're loved, you're not ashamed. It's like can't be together, right? Um, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 34, 4 through 5, and it says, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. There's a countenance word. They're radiant. And their faces are never ashamed. So we can be women who practice when shame creeps up, recognizing it, saying, I'm not walking in that. That's not the truth. That's not from God. I'm going to look to him. Because I know that when I look to him, I am radiant. And my face is never covered with shame. So I know that's a lot of words, you guys. I wanted to speak those truths over you tonight. Those were five things we can learn from justification, how we can mentally have hope. But I also wanted to give you those three practices of walking in hope. 